close, we have uh, the summer lull on us, kind of the heat sapping everything out of you. It's not too bad this week. I didn't, we didn't turn on the cooler because when I walked in here it didn't feel bad, but just in comparison to last week. But, uh, and then you're looking at the sermon notes and you're going, my gosh, big type, and it didn't even go to the bottom of the page. What's going on? Is this a slip to, the, to liberalism? What are we, uh, is he just going to be casually walking through some inspiring passage? What's well, inspiring passage? Mark 9's great. Uh, uh, it's, so, it's so real. I, one of the things I like about both the Old and the New Testament is how real the people are. Um, they act and talk like people do, not like fictional characters are made to be. And when they came to Capernaum, and when, they, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. That's as human as it gets. Now, one of the problems we have, now this isn't the theme, this isn't the theme this morning. I don't want to make too much of this, but one of the reasons conversation is so, even about issues, is so inane and so want to be better off silent is nobody's really willing to say what they're up to really analyze what their motivations are. Because we're rat bastards. We, 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 when you ask us what my real motivation for being, for doing anything almost, I think maybe this is why many theological traditions have this uh, worm theory about humanity. Because they kind of suspect that everybody's like they are and everybody is motivated by impure motives. We tend to go silent when Jesus asks us, what are you thinking, Evan? Uh, you're going to make up something quick that sounds spiritual. But they were talking about who was the greatest among them. These are the guys that hang out with Christ. These are the guys that walk with Jesus. Uh, you would think they'd pick something up. They used to picked up that they knew they should be quiet about this. You ever think that the things you allow to motivate you, the self-interest, whatever the nature or the extent of the self-interest, you kind of know that this isn't Christianity you're doing. You might dress it up with, with um, Christian language or put it in a Christian circumstance, have it happen in a church event, and so you think it fits Christendom, but you gotta, gotta, gotta know that it doesn't fit Jesus Christ. And that's sort of the point this morning. They were silent because of this. And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, now, they were silent, doesn't say anybody told him. But he knows. He knows these sorts of things. He knows these 
minds that are going on. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. It's a great passage. We all know it. We all like that. Oh, this is really, this is the big time ethically. This puts all those Buddhists to shame. This is, this is involvement. Making yourself least. Some people who have a, a, uh, a Gnostic tendency to give stuff up. Oh, they like it too because they get to be, they get to be uh, uniquely proud of themselves for having given up so much. Make yourself last. Make yourself a servant. Now, I don't think necessarily that the circumstances, especially of Christ, Christ did not live like he was always running around, bowing and scraping before his disciples. He does teach them this. He does act this out. His relationship to them is, yes, as Master and Lord, and he washes their feet, but he is not that, you might say, that permanent... um, state of uh, permanent state of serving as practical serving there is something else going on or something more going on here and he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms he said to them okay, get the picture, Jesus Christ calls in a kid probably was playing hacky sack out on the street calls him in had him sit on his lap And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Okay, this is not a a gift passage to those of you who like kids. Okay? This is not, yeah, I I like kids. I like working with vacation Bible school and working with glue and popsicle sticks together and and I, I, I like being playing with them out on the street, little stick ball. Um, you liking kids is you liking kids. And it's not really necessarily the kid as kid, but one such. And it's not because you like kids and you're a better person because you do. It's because in the name of Jesus Christ, you receive them. Not in yours. Not because you've got some sort of infantile sense of social expression and so that's all you can hang out with. There's a lot of people who act like children. And if they're nice people, they they will play with little kids because they're the same. But Jesus wants us, his disciples, his followers, himself, to, in his name, receive such a one. The bar the Lord sets is, I was noticing it when we were singing one of those hymns. Which one was it? It was that short one, Gun Requested. What was uh, May the Mind of Christ. And you go through the lyrics on that, and you go, oh gosh, what did I just claim? What did I these superlatives of how much you're giving to Jesus Christ. Well, that's the question here, folks. This is, I want to tell you that Christianity is not about, and we, you hear it a lot, 
I'm sorry, but it's not about what sort of religious structure we can create around the name of God. It is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And his Lordship is not up against the history of the Roman Catholic Church, it's up against you. Because whoever would be first, whoever wants to be advanced in the kingdom, has to be a servant, must be last, must give up himself, receive such a child. Because if you do, you receive Christ. If you receive Christ, you receive the God the Father who sent the Christ. Now, we seem to think that Jesus Christ is some sort of active spiritual agent hoping to help you live out your potential as a human being. And you're coming to Christ to be, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You had a choice about whether it was going to be all about you or whether it was going to be all about him. God wants it to be all about him. And that's a real hard thing. Because everything we do, when it's about us, us being last and us being servants, is counterintuitive to it being about you. Now, I don't, I don't mean to wax too social philosophy-ish, but you've heard me say before that everybody's intention is to find out how far their will extends because they love themselves the most and so for their sake the extension of their will is the best possible thing so you get fights in a marriage you get little kids being bratty to their parents you get races at war with each other you get everybody demanding two percent homosexual portion of this nation wants to demand that 98 percent shut up well, because it's simple. Well, don't blame them. They want their way, right? You want your way. That's what we're all about, is us wanting our way. And when your husband doesn't say something nice to you, you're ticked because you didn't get your way. But you're no different than a Nazi. You're no different than a child predator because they want their way too, right? If that's the standard of life, you wanting and then getting or laboring to get your way, you've just made an argument for every wickedness on the planet. This is just as a side for your apologetic usage. People who bring up what they call theodicy as, oh, how could God let wickedness go on in the world? Well, I could answer that pretty easily. The problem is, how come you live in such a way as you justify all the wickedness of the world? Because as soon as you say you have a right to have the world line up with what you want because you want it, you have just justified every evil on the planet. Because that's what motivates all of it. Everybody wants what they want. Now, Christ is saying something else. He said, you know, we don't work it like that here in the Christianity business. You have to be last. 
You have received this child in the name of Christ, not in your name, because that we will hide ourselves getting our way. I was reading, and I'm not a fan of Chesterton, ready papist, but um, I was reading something by him uh, a couple weeks ago uh, where he made a great point about how the Lord says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, you don't get to choose your neighbor. Your neighbor's an accident. If you go help the lepers, you might have a real fondness for helping lepers. If you go help the poor, you might want to have a real calling to be with the poor. But your neighbor, he got assigned to you. It's just, it's not about, I'm really into neighbors. No, you're not really into neighbors. You don't know your neighbor. We, even when we're doing good, sometimes only want to do good that suits us. That kind of is, when you say, oh yeah, you could hide it under that, you know, well, I was given certain talents, and I want to use them for the kids. Okay, fine. I have no trouble with you helping a leper. I have no trouble with you helping the poor. But you also get to help those, or be a servant to those, that you don't want to help. The beat up guy on the side of the road, you didn't choose to have it happen, you weren't called to this, you didn't raise the support to go on this summer project, and uh, no, but there he is, your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? That's how Christ answered the question, who is my neighbor? Now, I want you to be thinking, I'll probably be repeating it for years ad nauseum, this basic distinction between the will of God and your will. That is the nature of evil. He's got a way. You didn't do it because you had a way. And when you go to Christ and bow the knee and say, yes, Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, his way, not my way. You say, well, I, I, won't, I won't get to do what I want to do. Well, maybe he'll let you. But only if he lets you. He delegates your goods to you. He gives you your spouse. He gives you your kids. He gives you your job and gives you your vacation to Nebraska. That's why we say, as it says in James, God willing, I will do thus and such. God willing. Because you're supposed to, as Christians, be living by God's will, not yours. And when you're not living by your will, you're not so insistent that you be on top, you be expanded, you getting your way all the time. John said to him, now John, this is in Mark. John, as you know, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. You read the Gospel of John and it's just this, this great song of devotion and connection. You read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you get more of the same from an older, wiser apostle. So it's always interesting to see a John who's just a bohunkus. John said to him, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, because he was not following us. You're not getting the picture, John. We have all sorts of ways of hiding our way. Ideas like, certainly not those that We do this with our groupings. You know that's forbidden by St. Paul in Corinthians. Are you not acting like mere men when you start our, our group? You'll find out what's important to Jesus Christ. 
certainly, Jesus, you'd be on our side here when we didn't allow this kind of thing to soften the impact of what we think is the right group. Jesus said, do not forbid him. What? This guy's not even following with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is with the twelve over here. And John says, of course, Jesus, we, we don't let people cast out demons in your name if they're not in our group. Right, Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't think like John. Do not forbid him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is for us. Wow, what a different latitudinarian expression. He doesn't travel with Jesus, but he was preaching Jesus. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. We don't know who he was. We don't know whether he lasted. But Jesus has a... Don't be all about pushing yourself forward. If you ever get a chance, and if you ever want to borrow a copy or take a copy from me, I know my dad has some copies, I do, this Agape Leadership Small Book, The Life of R.C. Chapman. If you want to know about some Plymouth Brethren guy who lived it, who lived that kind of holiness, just never insisted on his own way. And all the usual church politics whirling around him, people, you know, getting all up, you know how churches can get, say we had people attend, for instance, and say the room was fullish, and even people in the balcony, and say a new teacher came in, and we were having more, and he was very exciting, more exciting than moi. And people started picking sides. You know, church splits go go on. R.C. Chapman just said, okay, fine, go ahead, your church. Gave it up. Let him have it. But that's not right. Let God judge him. We are sometimes not aware how many places our self wants to move forward and have, for me as a pastor, I like my ideas. I don't know if you noticed. I like, like, like them. I would marry them if I wasn't already married. Um, not only do I like them, it's easy to like something so beautiful, so sublime, and so correct. Now, why wouldn't I want that for all of you? We're tempted that you would, you must agree with me. That's, it's, it's like someone who could beat other people up. You want to beat people up. I, I, I want people to have the right view. Why shouldn't I try to make you have the right view? The temptations to the pride of life, the temptations to you having your way in bigger and bigger ways, is the big challenge against our Lord. I have to watch out for it because as soon as, I mean, there's, I think there's about almost 40 people here, 30-something. That's not much. In the church business, that's not much. But it, it, it satisfies me. It's like a drug. It really is. I, 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 you, uh, it's 38 to 1. 
the ratio is sweet. Oh, it would be better if it was 100 to 1, yeah. But I, I can really enjoy this low percolation of my urges of being listened to. I'm sure I know you're not all agreeing with me, but boy, it's still I'm still getting the benefits of expressing this. This is hanging in front of our eyes all the time. When you're you know, fighting about, when you're driving with the wife someplace and she wants to tell you to go this way and you don't want to even ask directions and you don't even take it from your GPS system, we want our way. We don't know what it is to give up ourselves. It says in verse 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. You'll notice the name of Christ. Do a mighty work in my name, give you a cup of water in my name. Little child received in his name. This is not because of you, but because of him. You'll notice also the first guy did a mighty work. He was casting out demons. John goes, why oh, is this guy casting out demons in your name? And we told him not to knock it off. And God said, well, the guy did a mighty work in my name, but frankly, you're going to get handed a cup of water in my name, and it's a rewardable thing. It's, you seem to need to know that my name, Jesus Christ, is the thing that should be anchoring your sense of advancement. What you serve, is it his name or yours? It's not an easy question. It's a simple question, but it's not an easy question. Christ seems to think that if you're doing mighty works or simple works of charity in the name of Jesus Christ, that's what gives it value. I should be moving towards the things that I do and the servanthood I take, not because I want to gain more value, but because Christ is of value to me. We are motivated to become first God's way. It is the motivation to become first. Any of you would be first, he must be last. If you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. Oh, there's no problem with desiring to be exalted. Jesus Christ desired to be exalted. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. But we know that we get to that exaltation. It's an exaltation of our God lifting us up, not us constantly trying to lift ourselves up. So in his name, we see the good in people who give a cup of water. We see the good in somebody outside our group who is doing something in the Lord's name. We're able to look at others in the Lord's name. And he says, He'll by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Now, I want to break something apart here because there's a little kid on his lap in the conversation. So it's a kind of a, do you have the right visual? Is it that image? Is he saying one of these little ones, this kid? Because he hasn't been talking directly about the kid. He's been talking about the guy casting out demons or the person giving you a cup of water. It's hard to discern. 
But all those things in his name, I was thinking that all those things were held together in the name of Christ. I bolded that in verse 37. One such child in my name, casting out demons in your name, um, does a mighty work in my name, gives you a cup of water in the name of Christ. If you cause one of those who believe in him, whatever rank of belief, whatever path to Jesus Christ they're taking or how far along it they are, how great their action, whether it is childish, whether it's a wonder worker, whether it's just a charitable guy holding a Dixie cup with some water in it. If you stumble that person, the word here is from the word scandal. If you scandalize, if you stumble this person. Sin is probably not a not, not the way that Christians hear the word sin. It's a, uh, it's a failure to reach what they ought to reach. If you cause one of those, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Do you get the picture? If you don't have this heart for the name of Christ above all, You are walking around seeking your own authority and your own good and your own advancement because that's what's important to human beings. You're not seeking the advancement of the living God. You know, if you stumble somebody, one of these people who are trying to serve the name of Jesus Christ, you know, you might want to think, it would be better for you. What's going to happen to you is going to be worse than that awful feeling. Remember that when you were a kid, you dove in the deep end of some pool and then you realize it was how far it was to the surface? Miles. It was miles. Your lungs were coming out your ears and you finally got to the top never to do that again. You don't want a lead weight strapped to your leg and dumped into the, into the sea. That would be better than what God has planned for you. You realize that that all things that are good, we're not just learning a better Christian philosophy, we're learning what we're going to get slapped for. Slapped hard by the maker of heaven and earth. You know, the guy who can call, you know, call nebula into being. He's going to reach down, pick your sorry rear end up, look at you, and either pound you into the next cosmos. You'd rather, you would rather be drowning horrifically than facing this, than to not have gotten liberated from this self-interest. A self-interest that plays itself out by self, you know, being forward. Your self-interest you can't deny. I'm not saying you're supposed to become a Buddhist and detached about everything. You're supposed to be attached. You're supposed to want this advancement, but you say, how does God want me to advance? He wants me to advance by bowing my knee to him. If I am so proud that I cannot bow to the living God, he will teach me someday the mistake in my assessment. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, everybody comes to you and says, Evan, do you think he really wants us to cut our hands off? Yeah, I do. Go ahead. So that was easy. If your hand causes you to sin, 
cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. You'll notice that in verse 42, it would be better. Verse 43, it would be better. 45, it would be better. It is better. 47, it is better. It is better. I also want you to think about the year 30 AD. There are no automobiles. There are no prosthetics. There are no high-tech ways of running around on spring-loaded steel when your legs cut off. This friend of the Patchens who lost, uh, and uh, Nick's, who lost his leg in the accident last week, and we prayed for him, uh, you could say, what better time to lose a leg in, in the history than a time when legs themselves, arms are really difficult, legs, guys are running triathlons on, you know, fake legs. I gave up my seat on a plane once. It was awful. The guy came up to me. It was after the Iron Man up, and I was flying someplace, and everybody was going back to the Iron Man. And the guy wanted to switch seats with me. His seat was not a good seat, but he wanted to sit by his trainer, who was a really attractive girl. I was a little suspicious, but here I was, old guy, supposed to give up. until I looked down at his feet and they both were metal. What am I going to do? Yeah, cripple, I'm not going to give you my seat. Well, it was amazing. He had just run a triathlon on fake feet. And he just wanted to switch seats with me. I had to do it. It's amazing what they can do. Guess what? They didn't have that in 30 AD. They didn't have automobiles or wheelchairs for you to be taken anywhere. You lost a leg. Life's over lost a hand, what can you do? Lost an eye? You're talking about, you know, let me see if I can get you to relate to this. Losing your phone. Okay? (laughs) Just imagine that for the moment. Have you ever had the interwebs go down? (laughs) I can't have instantaneous information and connection with the whole world. They didn't have any of that. This is the simplest extension of the will. When I talk to people about what makes a man a man, why he exists, is he has learned, little, you know, we see Lewis wandering around or Linus, and, and they're just figuring it out. They're, you know, they're complete twerps, completely uncoordinated, but they're figuring it out. They're figuring out how to grab something, take something. Eventually, Lewis will not be just pounding on the keys. He'll be playing a song, God willing. We learn how to manipulate these things. This is the edge of your essential self. Your feet, your eyes, your hands. And Jesus said, it'd be better. Why don't we lock one of those off? We have half of your extension into the world. Half of your ability to function in the world according to your will, it would be better than to have the stumbling that comes from not. Better than going with two, two feet into hell, two arms into hell, two eyes into hell.
If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the life maimed, lame, than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, you can take a simple lesson from all that. That it would be better for you to sacrifice that which causes you to sin, getting fleeing temptation. But this is the midst, this is in the midst of this discussion that Christ is having with his disciples about their embarrassing, silent conversation about who was greater. And he enters into it knowing what they had been talking about. And he says, why don't you be last and you be servant? Gives them an audiovisual aid of the child. John has his objection, but what about you know group identities? Aren't we going to protect those? God, Jesus says, no, because my name, my name regarding this child, my name regarding the demons, my name regarding the cup of water, my name should be first in your mind. And if you hold on to any of these things just to continue keeping your expression of will alive, two hands, two feet, two eyes, so that you can have what you want. If you cause someone to stumble, it'd be far better for you to cut off one of those things. It'd be far better for you to be thrown into the deep sea with a stone on your neck. He's still talking. There's the general, simple Watch out for things that tempt you. Cut those out of your life. But I don't think that's what he's dealing with. You might say contextual. You have to give up you. It'd be better to give up more of you. More of you. Stuff of you that is not even a question of righteousness. When I say give up your phone, lose your phone, people reach their hand into their pocket and grip it more tightly. Reassuring it. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You want your Siri to be saying that to you? Every once in a while, wake up and say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You could sleep better. You know, once we start serving ourselves, we, as it comes down to it, it's not just who you serve, because when we serve ourselves, we be stupid. And the living God is not. And so when we believe him and we do what he says and we do things in his name, not because we like kids, but because we love Jesus Christ. Not because we like kids, but we have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we have to undo. If you want to have righteousness in your world, the Christians around you, the Christians have got to be deciding that they're going to believe Jesus Christ. Verse 49, it says something odd. For everyone will be salted with fire. Now, it's not quite clear if they're salted with the fire or they're salted in the fire because the image is out, seems to be out of Leviticus 2, 
I have a quote here at the bottom of the left-hand side. No cereal offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing odor. You shall season all your cereal offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be lacking from your cereal offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So they had to salt the, the, the agricultural sacrifices. They made cakes out of them and such, but they couldn't bind them with leaven or, or honey because God said, no, that's not the pleasing odor. The thing you're allowed to do with the cakes, you could use oils and you could use other things, but you salted it. And then it was burned, cooked, essentially. It was like the smell of bread baking. There's a, when, when you're talking to a Jewish audience and you say everyone will be salted with fire, although he just mentioned the fire is not quenched, it's, it's hard to tie all of these together because the salt... Um, that's why I think the salt is separate from the fire. They're not salted with fire. That fire is the salt you use. But that is speaking of this sacrificial improvement of your state before God. And in the sacrifice that is, you might say, being, uh, being cooked, I don't know that it's the same thing as the, the judgment fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Because he says salt is good, verse 50. But if the salt has lost its saltness, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now this is, if, if the whole thing, if the whole thing has been on this subject, that's the end of the chapter, moves on to another subject, another event. If this is wrapping back around to a bunch of guys who were thinking of themselves and their own advancement, and were thinking about what is a pleasing odor before the Lord, and you want this salt because whatever this salt is, it's good, and it needs its flavor restored, what role it plays in your life, you need to find out how to re-season it. I'm suggesting to you that you believe God. For, yeah, I, I can't say it more simply or more directly than that. That you stop believing yourself, that you believe God. You say, what about God? What, what, whatever God says, you believe Him. If you give yourself to belief in Him, See, that sounds an awful lot like salvation. Well, it is an awful lot like salvation. As you received him, so live in him. We live in him. We have this existence different from the world because we believe God. Everyone else is in the business of believing themselves and trying to work out the best situation for old number one because I love me most of all. We Christians have learned that God loves us most of all, and we'd rather believe him. 
If I were to suggest anything to restore saltness, the question's there on the table. If it's lost its saltness, if we've lost this even simple religious obligation of the Christian to put others first, we've lost that ability because we don't know how to put Christ first. How are you going to get it back? I'm just giving you a suggestion. You might find something else. You might be looking. Because I'm supposed to have salt in myself. And I'm supposed to be at peace with one another. Believe me, we know why we don't have peace between people. Because we all have this thing where the salt was lost, where we are not a pleasing aroma to God anymore in the sacrifice because the salt's lost its flavor. And this basic choice between your way or Jesus Christ's way has slipped away from you. And Christianity has allowed you to design your own life, following your own urges, designing your own ethics. Believe God. You're wrong. He's right. Believe him. Because if you do, once you submit to another authority, well, the passage is springing to my mind as I speak. Live at peace with one another. What does it say? Whence comes... Wars, what causes wars, and what causes fightings among you? Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's where it is impossible to live peaceably in a home with your children, with people around you and the races will never be reconciled because one's group is screeching tear down that flag and the other group is saying no that's our that's our heritage and everybody wants their way everybody Christians are supposed to want the Lord's way God will give you choices in life he will delegate parts of your life you'll get into McDonald's and you'll go well, I don't have a word from the Lord about what I'm having, Big Mac or a quarter pounder. I guess he wants me to pick myself. His hang says things like that. Choose for yourself a wife. That's the fixed godliness. I want you to be godly, you choose the woman. Everything in this world is this question, and you've heard me say it before, who's in charge here? Righteousness is when Christ is in charge and wars and fightings and collapse of life is because you serve yourself. Think of the name of Christ. Think of the salt, think of the flavor. How are you gonna restore it? How are you gonna to get to it? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your son, for his name, for his Lordship offering to lead us in our lives, and Lord, we'd ask that we would deliver our lives up to him, that we might know you as well. Thank you for being our God, in your son's name, amen.